2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18. It says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have in the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe, and therefore I have spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Father, once again for the opportunity to partake of your word. And we just thank you right now, Father, that by your spirit you would speak it to our hearts, our minds, and our spirit, Lord, that your word would root itself deep on good ground, Lord, that it would, you know, cultivate our minds, remove any thoughts that are ungodly, impure, um, defeat us, Lord, that um, you would just renew the spirit of our minds, Lord. And if there's any areas in which we have not walked according to the abundant life you've given us, a life of power and authority, a life in which we are more than conquerors, Lord, we just praise you right now, Father, that those things will be purged out of our minds, and yet your word would, would germinate and grow and would be fertile. And we just praise you, Lord, that it would control and govern our thought processes, our, our lives, our, our perspective, our outlook on life, even our very demeanor, Lord, on a daily basis. We give you the glory and the honor and all the praise, Father, for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right, so this text scripture, you know, um, basically starting a series um, called The Inner Man. And as we can see here, it says that, you know, there are times in our life, and I'm sure all of you have been there. I know I've been there. If it's only just me, I've been there. Where there's times where I felt like I was troubling on every side. You know, everywhere I looked, problem here, problem there, problem in the bank account, problem at the job, problem with people at church. I mean, just problems all over the place, wherever I looked. But yet we see here it says that you should not be distressed. It says there's times where you're perplexed in life. You know, I've had moments where I say, Lord, why am I here? How did I get here? I remember, like, you know, at the peak of some of the trials and tribulations that I went through last year, I was on a daily um, prayer walk. I even asked the Lord, it's like, if I knew I had to be 40-something years at this place right here where you got me, why did you waste your time letting me get this far? Because it was just totally perplexed, the fact that I could be in that position in life, especially when you know you haven't been lazy, you haven't been shiftless, you've been a diligent person, hardworking, you've served the Lord faithfully, and yet, why is all this stuff going on? <laughs> you know? But it says here, even though you may be per perplexed, you're not in per despair. Persecuted, but you don't feel forsaken by God. Cast down, but yet not destroyed. Amen? So these are some of the things that we deal with on a daily basis. And the Lord actually gave me 
a reminder of something that kind of parallels this text scripture. And it may not seem like it at first, but there's kind of like a, a close tie-in between the things that I went through and this one experience and just how things go through in life in general. So starting out, um, we're just looking at the fact that it, the word says that you might be trouble on every side. That word trouble means to be crowded, to be squeezed in, to be confined. Amen? So there's times, once again, where you have trials and tribulations facing you on every side. And as you look around, you say, there seems to be no peace at all in my circumstances. Where is God? Why is this being allowed to happen? No matter how I'm praying, it seems like I'm, I'm hitting up against a, a, a brick wall in the spirit. And there seems to be no resolution to my situation at hand. But as we see here, even though life may try to bind you in and crowd you, the word of God tells us that instead of allowing this to happen, instead we need to push back. You know, there's times where even in, in training, I've learned that if somebody puts a bear hug upon you, there's certain ways that you can position yourself and flex yourself to get out of those circumstances. And it's the same way in the spirit of God. Amen. Matthew eleven twelve says from the days of John the Baptist till now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, but the violent take it by force. Now, that word suffereth means to permit, you know, negative things to happen in your life. And that doesn't seem to be pleasant to you and I, but there are times where God will actually allow these things to happen. Not that he wants us to suffer, but just, you know, he says he lets the sun come down and the rain come down on the just and the unjust. So there's certain times where, whether we like it or not, and you may not even be in sin, but trouble is going to come your way. But he says here that even though from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is permitted to suffer violence, it says that, the violent take it by force. Amen? So that word suffered means that the enemy's trying to come in. He wants to squat on your turf. You know, I don't know if any of you know about squatters, but, you know, I have family down in North Carolina, and they had farms, they had tobacco fields and stuff like that. And there was times, maybe not in their particular case, but there was times where there were these people called squatters that would come get on your property. Amen? They would sneak in, you know, you know, through a fence or in a part of the, the land that you thought you, you weren't paying much attention to. And these people would literally come in and make themselves an abode there on your territory. And then, not only that, but they would start to use your resources for their own benefit. Maybe you worked that field to grow all that corn. You planted it, you cultivated it, you weeded it, you ensured that it grew up nice and healthy, only for those people to squat in and say, hmm, that tastes pretty good. <laughs> Amen. And the devil wants to do the same thing. He sees that you have an abundant pasture that God has given you, and yet he wants to come in and squat on your turf. Not only that, but that word suffer means that he crowds into you. See, it's not good enough for the enemy to try to get territory in the, par the area that God has given you, but he wants to crowd you, he wants to squeeze you, he wants to take away all your fruitfulness and snuff the, God, the, the, the spirit of God out of your life so that you're totally surrounded by nothing but despair and devastation. Amen? But as we see here, it says that even though these things may happen, the, ener the energetics or the violent people take it by force. Instead of allowing the enemy to crowd you in and squeeze out the life out of you, it says instead there has to be a spark, a fire inside of you that says, no, not here. Amen? I'm not going to allow the enemy to squat, squat on my territory. I'm not going to allow him to squeeze the life out of me. Instead, I'm going to flex back and say, not only am I not going to let you take my territory, but 
I'm going to expand the boundaries of my habitation. You know, maybe on day one, I only had this field right here. Now that you attack me, enemy, I'm going to reverse course, and I'm going to come back at you. And not only keep everything I had, but now I'm going to start to expand myself further into your territory, and I'm going to take back some spoil. Amen? So that's how God wants us to be. You know, we will suffer violence, but what is your attitude about that situation? Do you sit back passively and say, oh, woe is me? Devil's kicking me in the rear end today. Oh, God help me. Nobody knows the trouble I seen. Oh, sad sack me. Or do you get mad, get angry, as we see here, get violent and take back your stuff by force? Amen. Do you say, not only am I going to preserve the stuff that God's given me, but I'm going to go out into my neighbor's pasture and say, hey, he stole this, the devil stole stuff from you. Let's take that back. Amen. Hey, I see a field over there that looks like a paradise, but it's under satanic influence. Let's go over there and take that back too. Amen. Do you allow yourself to get violent enough, amen, that you go back and do these things? See, Jesus appeared to be a very passive man, but he's the most violent man that ever lived. Amen. However, instead of being violent in his flesh and with his mouth and with his attitude like a lot of us are from time to time, he was violent only in the spirit. Amen. He warred and he engaged in warfare in the spirit as opposed to the flesh. Amen. And because of that, he was very fruitful and he basically conquered everywhere he set his feet to. Amen. So we have to say the same thing. Do we allow ourselves to be passive and squatted on and have the life squeezed out of us by the enemy? Or do we push back and increase the boundaries of our spiritual habitation? That word distress from our text scripture means to be hemmed in or boxed in on every side. Amen? It also means to be cramped. You know, in, in, in our common everyday life, you know, sometimes, you know, you might be talking to your children or somebody that, you know, you're a mentor over, and you say, oh, well, you can't go out and do this and that. And they say, oh, you cramping my style. <laughs> Amen? You cramping my style. I want to do that. Amen? So as we see here, there's certain times in our lives where the enemy's doing the same thing. He's trying to cramp your spiritual style. Amen? From the things that God would allow you to do. But instead of allowing him to do that, Hebrews 12 tells us that, wherefore we are surrounded, you know, by a cloud of witnesses, and it says that there are weights that are going to come down to your life, and it says, don't allow those weights to overwhelm you, to burn you down, and to keep you locked into that position that you're at. Instead, it says, lay, lay down or lay aside every weight that so easily besets you. Amen? See, it's very easy for the enemy to come in if you allow him to and to bind you up so you can't move. And God could be showing you all these different blessings he has in store for you. Well, if you walk here, I'm going to give you this. And I'm not talking about money all the time. You know, there's too much of that. But God says, I have this blessing for you. You know, I have that blessing for you. I have this opportunity for you. And because of all the weights of the sin and the traps and entanglements of the enemy, we're stuck here. Only looking at all those things from the outside. So God is saying, don't allow these things to happen. Instead, lay aside every weight and every sin that would so easily entangle you. Amen? And look towards the author and finisher of your faith. He's the one that's going to get you to the other side. Amen? But you've got to be willing to fight that battle and say, I'm not going to allow myself to be boxed in. Amen? Once again, you may be troubled on every side by calamity. But it's according to your perspective whether you remain there and it cripples you or whether you push back and say, you know what, no matter how bleak things may seem to be, I'm going to continue to trust God, pronounce his word over my circumstances, and I'm going to keep pushing forward. Amen?
despite how I feel. No matter how lousy things may seem. You know, even if I've tried something a thousand times before, I'm going to go for a thousand and one in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm not going to allow myself to be boxed in. You know, uh, one of the other words that, that I saw, too, that really came to mind was it talked about being perplexed. And that word in the underlying Greek there means having no way out. And that's a horrible thing to feel. That you're so surrounded by trouble and devastating circumstances that there's no way out of your circumstances whatsoever. I'm going to be stuck here all the rest of the days of my life. You know? It's a bleak thing. And, you know, I talked to somebody recently, you know, that, that, that said that basically that the circumstances of that person's life seem to be so bleak now that, that, you know, the person is trapped. I feel like I'm boxed in. You know, I try to have faith in God, but it just seems like nothing is happening. And that has to be a terrible experience for somebody, especially a child of God, to go through. But we see here um, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, There have no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation, also make a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Now, my question today is, is that if God says, I give you a means of escape for every temptation, then wouldn't God give you a means of escape from every trap of the enemy? Why would he just give you an escape for a temptation? God, that's good, but I'm trapped here by the enemy's devices. I want to get out of that too. Amen? So once again, if he gives you a means of escape from every temptation, I'm sure that the same God we serve says, I'll also give you an opening, you know, a way to get out of that situation. The enemy thinks he has you boxing on every side. He thinks he's fortified himself against you. He thinks he's bound you in your circumstances. And yet, even if it's a chink in that enemy's wall, God says, I've left a little bit of opening for you to be able to get through. Amen. And to let my glory be seen in your circumstances. But my thing is, we have to look for it. Now, I talked before about how God um, brought back to my remembrance something that I went through that kind of ties into this text scripture. And, and basically, he reminded me of my first black belt test. Now, the thing is, you know, I'm a second degree black belt in Taekwondo. I'm actually approaching my third degree. But believe it or not, even though I've tested multiple times since I, since I got my first one, the first one was the most difficult. And one of the things that happened with that is that... Um, you know, I was doing my preparations beforehand and learning my forms and, you know, weapons and all these different things. And they basically told us that even before we went in, if you take a normal class or, you know, one of the tip tests, they call them, where you would, you know, get a stripe to get you closer to your black belt. They basically said all these tests are going, all these tests are going to pale in comparison to what we're going to do to you on that day. Amen. So I was trying to prepare myself. Now, it just so happened that before I got to the day of the test, um, it was really, really hot. We were in a major heat wave. I think we might have been having record-setting temperatures. And I think it was the week before my black belt test that um, a football player had died out in the field from heat stroke. Amen? And here we are about to go out there. And, you know, basically they told us we're going to push you and push you, and we're going to try to break you. So I went there that day. And one of the first things that came my way in terms of, you know, being tested was the fact that we had to do a five-mile jog. We had to do it within a certain amount of time. Now, mind you, I don't mind running. I don't mind running the equivalent of five miles. But it needs to be on a basketball court, tennis court, somewhere where there's a ball and there's a way to score. 
Five miles just jogging through the neighborhood or something like that, it just does nothing for me. It bores me. I don't like it. You know, if I'm out on the right turf with the right sneakers, it actually hurts my shins. So needless to say, I was not looking forward to the five-mile jog, even though I know physically I can handle that part. So anyway, um, we get closer and closer, and just to get myself kind of ready for it, you know, I ran a mile one day, two miles the next day, but I never got up to the five miles. So come the day of the test, like, okay, <laughs> sink or swim now, buddy. So we get out there, and it's early in the morning, I think it's like 7 o'clock, 7.30, something like that, and we start running. So, you know, I got my Walkman on, got my praise and worship tape, you know, CD going, and, you know, I'm running and stuff. First lap, psh, no problem. Second lap, no problem. But as I've been known to do when it comes to running, especially since I'm not, you know, really geared or groomed in that area, I've never really knew how to pace myself properly to hit the finish line. So typically, I start off the race at a faster pace than I need to do. So when I started out, there's a guy and his father who were running. They ran 5 to 10 miles a day. They were avid joggers. I was keeping pace with them. Probably not too wise for somebody that's not used to jogging, but I'm keeping pace with them, you know. So finally, I get around that third lap, and I get to that point where I'm about halfway through, and all of a sudden, my lungs, my legs, and my mind are like, I can't do this. <laughs> and I'm looking. We're running around the Paintworks Park. I don't know if you're all familiar with that, but, you know, I can see the whole journey. From any point on that circle, I can see where I got to go, where I need to finish, and stuff like that. So I'm looking. And I'm running, and everything in my body's saying, I can't do it. But thank God there was something within me that says, you know what? Don't focus on the finish line at the next two and a half, three laps. Instead, it's only one more step. One more step. It's not, three, it's not two and a half miles. It's one more step. Another 50 yards. Still got two and a quarter. It's not two and a quarter. It's one more step. Just one more step. One more step. And so for the next, like I said, two and a half, you know, two and a half miles or whatever it was at that point, I didn't run two and a half miles. I ran one more step. And I got to, to that finish line. And here's the thing. I was one of the oldest people that was there that day to be tested. And yet I finished probably like four or five seconds behind the two avid joggers. Amen? So I was like coming in second or third place, depending on whether they were tied. Not quite bad for a guy that's like, I think at the time, like 40 years old, close to it. Not bad. Amen? But see, the thing is, the way that parallels with us is that a lot of times we have trials and tribulations in our lives. We said, I want to be done this situation now. And we talked to God, and he's showing us the finish line, and he's saying, hey, here's the end of the battle. You can see it clearly. There's no blurriness of your vision. You can see the arrival to your victory right ahead. And you may even know exactly the timing or the, the length of way between you and your achievement. But yet, there's something within you because of the circumstances right now that says, I can't go on. Stop focusing on the finish line and just say, God, one more step. Just one more step. One more step. I don't care if it takes you two days, a month, a year, or five years. Wherever your finish line is, no matter how hard it is what you're dealing with right now, don't look at the finish line and don't even look at the trials and tribulations. Just say, God, give me the strength for 
one more step. Amen? Ecclesiastes chapter 9, 11 says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. See, we've been trained in this day and age that, you know, we're in a microwave generation. Stick it in the microwave, 30 seconds, it's a meal or a minute. You know, you stick it in there, it's frozen. Three minutes later, you're eating dinner. And see, we've been trained by that. And unfortunately, you know, we've learned that if things don't come quick, that supposedly God is not in our favor. God doesn't care. God's turned a deaf ear or a deaf eye to our circumstances. But God's not in the microwave business. God instead says there's a time and season to everything, amen? As even though you may still be in your circumstances, you know, the race is not the swift. Sometimes he wants you to take the shorter route, I mean the, the lengthier route, because there's certain things you need to learn along the race course, amen? So stop thinking like this microwave generation that i got to have my deliverance from our circumstances now. Instead, God says, I may have you to go a longer path, not because I don't care about you, but because there's certain things you're going to learn. And also, there's certain people that are watching your life that as you're going through that fiery furnace, amen, they're seeing how you're handling it, and they're saying, man, if they can weather all that, then maybe I can too, if I learn about that same God that they serve. Amen? So the race is not to the swift. Hallelujah. Nor the battle to the strong, but God will give us the victory. And once again, don't focus on the destination and arrival time. Just take one more spiritual step in God. And I guarantee you, he'll give you the victory. Now, after the jog, I went home, and um, my loving wife had fixed me breakfast. And um, I think it was like a couple eggs, bacon, and, you know, stuff like that, orange juice, you know. Um, stuff like that. So I came home and she made it, but because of the nervous anticipation and everything, you know, jitters, like, I don't know what they're going to put me through. I mean, I don't think I even got through the equivalent of one egg, you know, so I, you know, kind of played around with it, but I just couldn't eat. I mean, I was just too amped up, too hyped up and, you know, nervous energy going. So I didn't really eat a good breakfast, which turned out to be a big mistake. <laughs> Because when they're putting you through the greatest physical challenge of your life, one of the, the worst things you could do is not nourish yourself properly for the test at hand. And because I was, you know, prone to not only put on my full uniform and everything, um, we were allowed to put on a full, full uniform, but the one I had kind of like overlapped. And sometimes it would separate and kind of get on my nerves because it would like kind of dangle around and get caught on my wrist and stuff like that. So not only did I put on a full uniform, but I put a t-shirt on underneath because it seemed like it would just stay positioned right if I put that on. on. Only problem with putting the t-shirt on underneath is that it saves more, store more body heat. So I got that on, a full uniform, I got the belt, got all my gear and everything on. I get over there, I'm not nourished right, and I'm doing my preparations. And so finally, you know, we started going. We had a, a, a nice crowd there, and um, I think it was Tony that said she saw the first 15 minutes of our warm-up, and she's like, I was done. Because <laughs> we went in there, and they immediately said, okay, 100, 100 jumping jacks, 100 sit-ups. I ain't talking about them little crunch things. I'm talking about sit-up, your back. And head come off that floor, hit them knees. Not this little bend the stomach flexion. I'm talking about no full sit-ups. <laughs> you know, a hundred of them, a hundred jumping jacks, a hundred push-ups, and that was just you know, we didn't get serious yet. We just trying to get your joints going. So they did that. 
Then we did a series of punching and kicking drills. And then they threw kicking combinations, giving me, you know, two 360 kicks and an axe kick followed by a side kick. So not only that, but you had to remember, okay, what are they telling me to do step by step? And don't miss anything because they, I think they had one time where actually one of the teenagers missed something when we start doing the forms. And because a couple people missed the forms, they're like, start over. Do the form again. I'm like, well, I did it right. Why am I getting penalized? And they kept making us do it over. You know, you do it two or three times. Now you're starting to eye that person like, I'm about to come over there because you're making me suffer. So anyway, we went through all this. But what happened is, as we're going through that process, dehydration started to come in. Like I said, it was hot. I had a full uniform on. I had a T-shirt going and everything. So now my body is starting to heat up. And the thing is, my body started to get so hot that I literally, I truly believe I lost control of my internal thermostat. I was drinking Gatorade, you know, I was drinking water, and my body was like, you can do whatever you want. I ain't feeling you right now. You can try to, you can try to drink down a gallon of Gatorade, a gallon of water, whatever you do, I ain't feeling you right now. So I'm just like, I start feeling nausea setting in, you know, I start feeling like, you know, I can't go any further. I start feeling, you know, flushed in my face and everything. And, um, you know, just everything seems to be going haywire. And see, there was a couple times in the midst of this trial, this trial that I said, you know what? You know, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to bow out. Because I just, I just can't do this anymore. You know? I don't have what it takes today. I'm just too hot. I'm sick to my stomach. I feel like I'm going to embarrass myself by... Unfortunately, vomited all over this floor in front of all these people, and I just can't go anymore. You know, so um, so I was about to bow out, and um, there was just something in me, though. You know, as I looked over to that table, and I saw, you know, my my instructor, who for years had trained me. You know, somebody had been on the Olympic team, you know, a couple times. Somebody going to Korea. Then I saw his father. You know has had great accolades. Then I saw the masters that were associated with them that they brought there to watch me that day. And then I looked over, you know, and I saw my family, and I saw my friends, and I even saw another friend that was videotaping me that day, you know? And there was something within me that said that even though I can't go on anymore, I can't take it. I need to throw in a towel. There was something within me that says, you know what? It's not about me anymore or how I feel. Even if I can't do it for myself, I can't let down all these people, this cloud of witnesses that are cheering me on in the midst of the circumstance. Amen? So I kept pressing. You know, and it showed me, as I was reviewing this, it said that I had to decrease and say, I know I can't trust in my body anymore, but I got trust in that inward man, that inward spark, amen, that says keep going despite how your fleshly body and your emotions feel because they're throwing in the towel on me. Amen? John 3.30 says, I must decrease and he must increase. And Amplified says, I must become less prominent, he must become more so. So I died to self and said, you know what? I can't pay attention or give heed to how I'm feeling. I can't give in to the emotional and physical exhaustion. Instead, I'm going to just trust on that inward spark and say, hey, look inwardly and allow that thing to spark and allow it to keep me going. And praise God, I was able to get further along the test. Now, when we were about the last hour, we knew that the final parts were going to be to spar several people and also to break boards. So once I got to that part, I was like, shoot, I'm on autopilot now. I'm, 
still, I ain't made it yet, but I made it. I went from having a mindset that I'm going to quit and I can't go no further to ain't nothing going to stop me now. If they kill me, you know, if I die on this floor, y'all can put my belt on me. Y'all can just pull the cor- y'all can just pull the corpse over there and wrap the belt around the waist. Because nothing is going to stop me right now. I'm on autopilot. So we put on our sparring gear, and I get out there, and I spar this first guy, and he's taller than me. And uh, I was so fired up that as soon as they gave us a signal to go, I just, like, jumped into him and basically kicked him against the wall. And we finished our sparring. Then I went to the next guy who was also taller than me, and I went to, um, to block his kick. But unfortunately, even though I blocked his kick from doing, like, any major damage, I put my arm up, and his foot literally slid up my arm and pushed my eye back in the socket. So now I'm going from, okay, I'm ready to go, to I'm seeing three or four of everything. So I got blurred vision. And I still had to fight several um, opponents. And see, there was this part of me that says, well, since I'm injured, you know, that's that's an injury. Seeing three or four people, and you're supposed to be fighting them, and he's over there, and you're fighting him here, that's a problem. So I said, I could really go over to this other thing, bow and say, I got guys, gals in the eye, can I step out of this part at least, or the remainder of it. But once again, I was on autopilot, I said, you know what, no matter what you do, not only am I going to pass this test, but I'm going to do everything that they've commanded me to do to make sure nobody can ever question the fact that I've earned my credentials at the end of this test. So I went ahead, I fought all those people, I did board breakers and everything, and I got through it. But the way that this parallels spiritually is that sometimes when you're going through things in the kingdom of God and you're dealing with trials and tribulations, you may not get killed, you may not be crippled, but there's times that the enemy's attack will get in and he'll hit you in such a way that it'll blur your spiritual vision. Amen? But I'm here to tell you today that don't allow yourself to quit. Amen? Keep pushing on. Keep fighting because you're near the prize. Just don't allow yourself to quit. You know, Ephesians 4.17 talks about how we are not to walk as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. Amen? And it says that they have their understanding darkened. See, in the flesh, my vision was a little bit darkened or blurred. But I had to basically trust the inward man to say that, you know what? Even though I'm blurred, you know, I've now renewed my mind. Now I'm no longer the guy that says I'm about to quit a half hour or 45 minutes ago. Now the person has renewed his mind and says that, you know what, now I'm, going to qu- now I'm not going to quit, but I don't care what you throw at me, I'm going to finish this challenge. It's the same thing with us, amen? We're going through things. It may blur your spiritual vision. You may be full of confusion. You may say, I don't know when this is going to end, but God tells us, don't think like the Gentiles think. Instead, put off the former conversation of the old man. See, that old man whined and complained. He murmured and complained about God. You know, he had a faulty or, you know, you know, wish-washy, you know, faith profession. But God says, put off that former conduct. Um, amen? Instead, put on a new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. Only allow yourself to profess, to think, to believe, to speak, to act, to have body language according to what God and his word is saying is going to happen in this circumstance. Amen? Not according to what you feel. Amen? And I'm telling you, God will put you on a spiritual autopilot that will enable you to sustain the final battles till you get over the hump, and now you're in the area of victory. But you had to have that mindset. 
I'm going to renew the spirit of my mind. I'm not going to allow the fact that I may have been tested more than I thought, tested more ways or variations than I could have um, ever guessed. You know, maybe I don't like the way they're doing the test. I don't think they did it right. But yet we have to have the mindset that says, you know, Matt, no matter what the enemy throws at me, amen, even if I don't understand why God's allowing me to be tested this much, I'm going to keep on persevering. And most of all, I'm going to continue to trust God and speak over my circumstances and say, I'm a victor, not a loser. Amen. Now, I text scripture said a strange thing, strange thing. It says all things are for your sake. Why in the world would being troubled on every side, perplexed, persecuted, and cast down be for your sake? And what God showed me, it says, you know what, when you're a child of God, even the bad things are for your sake. Because as it says here, it says that our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal work, weight of glory. It doesn't say your faith works it. It doesn't say that, you know, your reliance on God or your profession of faith or your actions that you do for the kingdom of God work these things. It says your light affliction works these things. Amen? So even though the enemy thinks he's afflicting you, God is saying, I'm using this to produce or to form and fashion a greater weight of authority. Amen? And that word weight in the underlying Greek, it actually talks about that. It actually it talks about authority that's being invested in you. So the enemy, he doesn't even realize. He's helping you get trained so that you have more spiritual authority for later battles. Big dummy. You know, he's a big dummy. You're, you're my sergeant in boot camp, and he don't even know it. Training you to have a greater authority in the spirit, you know, and before man to, to, to impact the kingdom of God. Amen? Hallelujah. All right. Um, so like I said, I was on autopilot to that point. And yet, you know, one of the things he showed me too is that sometimes we can't appreciate the goodness of God. And the other thing that really got me was sometimes you can't appreciate the full measure of who you are unless you've endured an overwhelming battle. The world will tell you, you know, you know what you're made of? We'll see, oh, no, we'll see, what, we'll see what he's made of or she's made of. Oh, yeah, we're going to put them through this. We'll see what they're made of. That's what the world says. And see, the enemy does that too. And God says, sometimes I'm going to allow this stuff to happen so that you can show what you're made of. Remember he bragged on Job? He bragged on him because he knew he had in him what it took to overcome that battle. And matter of fact, I experienced the same thing at my karate test. When I came up to get my belt, my instructor, the head of the school, didn't actually belt me. The person that gave me my black belt was his father. And when I walked up to him, this man had a beaming smile on his face. And he said, Brian, he said, I remember the first day you walked in here. Because it just so happened he taught me my first lesson years earlier. He said, I remember the first day you walked in here. You've always worked hard. He said, you never came in here at half mass. You have always gave me 100%. He said, I am so proud of you today. Amen? See, sometimes the master will allow you to go to a, through a battle, but once you come out the other end, he says, see, I knew you could do it. I had to let you see you could do it. See, you didn't know you could handle being in that much debt. You didn't know you could handle that disease. You didn't know you could handle all those people coming against you on every side, afflicting you and saying, this is going to be the last battle that they ever experienced. Amen? You didn't know you could survive that, and yet God says, they got more than enough in them. 
Amen? Matter of fact, you know, as I told you earlier, they told us that black belt test is basically a regular class of tests multiplied by like five or ten. And they told us afterwards, we knew beforehand that you had everything it took to survive the test that we're going to put you through. You had to know it. See, we knew we were going to put you through a test and push you so hard physically and so fast that you were going to come to a place where you said, I can't do it. Amen? When somebody's barking orders at you, 100 of these, 100 of that, and you're like, you're on number 58 for the push-up, and they're like, all right, 100 sit-ups. Dude, I didn't even finish yet. And they're barking orders, and then you finally get to that, and they jump to the next thing, 100 of these, and I'm just starting this. Why are you barking the orders and pushing me so hard? But what they're trying to show you is that you're capable of doing so far above what your mind can even comprehend. And your heavenly master, God, is doing the same thing. Amen? I'm putting you through some stuff, but you're capable of handling so much more than you could ever imagine. Amen? One of the things that David said to Saul, you know, he had gone through overcoming battle with the lion and the bear and killed him. So when he faced his Goliath, he already knew that he had weathered something that gave him the capability to endure something else in the future. Amen? So how can you handle the battles in the future if you've never handled anything earlier on? Amen? All right, so about to close. Um, like I said, our, our afflictions, amen, sometimes they take you through and you think you can't make it, but God is just allowing them to train you, to hone you, and let you see what you're made of spiritually. One of the things that happened after the victory is that once I got my belt, believe it or not, it had been about eight hours of basically physical and mental torture. But once I got the belt and everybody was leaving, there's this part of me saying, man, I'm ready to go another hour. I mean, I literally felt my body is like energized. Amen? And I think God does the same thing. Sometimes he gets us through a victory. We feel energized, empowered, ready for the next challenge. Maybe not asking for it, but ready for the next challenge. Amen? And another thing that happened, too, is when I went home, you know, I said, okay, I'm not going to get out. I got out of gear and got put on some dry clothes, but I was like, I'm not ready to go get in the shower yet or anything like that. I'm just going to sit down nibble on a little something to get something to drink. And what happens, when I sat down, I drifted off into this restful sleep. It was like a deep and restful sleep. And when I woke up, I felt so reinvigorated. And I, I really believe that God does that too, amen? Once you've endured a battle and gone into the area of victory, amen, that victory that looks so far ahead that you've now arrived at, God also gives you a period of rest, amen? Let's all rise, amen? That's gonna, we're going to um, close out in prayer. But that inner man, amen, is capable of so much more than you could ever imagine. But we need to continue to focus on God, see the, you know, stay in our lane and go step at a time until he gets us to victory, but realize the victory is there the whole time, amen? Don't allow ourselves to be governed by what we're currently going through. Hallelujah.